chapter 4. I'm going to jump in after I get a drink of water. Two drinks of water. So we are in week 9, as uh, if I'm correct, I think it's week 9, of us studying through the book of Ephesians. And as part of that study, I've asked you to take one of those little cards with you. There's probably one on the seat back in front of you. There's a stack over at the table in the back corner. But we're working on memorizing, not just for the sake of being able to recite, but memorizing for the sake of embedding God's truth deep in the core of us, this verse that is kind of a Cliff's Notes. It's kind of a summation of what we're reading about in Ephesians from another book. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. And I want you to say it with me today. And we're going to have a lot of fun when we say it today. right? I've been being too soft and too nice to you. So we're going to make it a little more challenging today. Let's say 2 Corinthians 5.17 together. We'll have it for you on the screen. It says this. It says, therefore, together. I didn't start right. That's my fault. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. <laughs> you did awesome, right? You give it another couple of weeks, there's just going to be blanks up there, so get ready, okay? Uh, you think I'm joking. I don't know if I am or not. We'll see. Anyway, um, tell you this, that when I was uh, in college, I had the opportunity uh, to go and lead worship through music uh, in several different venues. And one night, it was a Thursday night, it was a worship service for college and singles. And uh, so I was at the building, plugging up my guitar, trying to get things set up and ready. And a, my, a really good buddy of mine, a guy that was in my wedding, was actually the guy who was over the head of this ministry. He was there with me, but he decided he was going to leave for a little bit and run somewhere to, to get a burger. So go grab some fast food. And so he left for a while, and then he came back. And when he came back, he said, man, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, man, I'm standing in line at, I believe it was Dairy Queen. He said, there's a guy behind me who looks the right age, and it just, is on, it just feel prompted. And so I just invite him to come hang out with us tonight. And the guy's like, a little bit, you can tell he's a little tentative. He's not real sure he wants to do the church thing. He's kind of like, man, I don't know, like church is not really my deal. And said, so I started to tell him a little bit about it, just so I'm trying to make him feel more comfortable. Man, it's, it's kind of casual, you know, in terms of what you wear. There's not a whole lot of formality involved. We're just going to study the Bible. I'll teach a little bit from the Bible. We'll consider some things about God. And then I got a buddy named Jason Durant who's going to play some songs and lead us as we sing to Jesus. And he said, man, you should have seen the look on that dude's face when I said your name. He said, man, his eyes looked like Krispy Kreme donuts. Like they were, he, he was like, he said, he said to me, you said Jason Durant? Is leading the worship? He said, yeah. And so they, they continue talking. Turns out it's a guy whose name he didn't get, by the way, so I still don't know who it was. But it, I'm like, man, that would have been prime if you could have told me who it was. But it's a guy who was from a neighboring community, the community that I grew up in, who had known my life in some moments when I wasn't really walking very strongly in my faith, wasn't very serious about Jesus. And, and I've thought about that moment multiple times throughout my adult life as what an encouragement that moment was to me. In one way, because I'm me and because I can be socially awkward, I, I have the propensity to have the social skills of a brick, all right? But, so, so I started to get a little nervous, like the guy's going to show up, I'm going to end up running into this guy, we're having some weird conversation, whatever. That's true, okay? That's the frail human part of me. But the encouraged in my spirit part of me was going, something has happened in my life such that when this guy hears that I would be singing about Jesus and pointing people to Jesus, it caused him to feel shocked. Because that was totally different from who he had experienced me to be. 
And can I just posit to you what a great moment that was for me and how I hope that we can all in some measure or another know the experience, maybe not of being recognized as made completely different by someone else. They may not see it and state it, but that we even see in ourselves new life, new desires, new actions flowing through ourselves because God has in fact not simply saved us with a promise for one day, but he has transformed us internally by his grace. He has remade you. And the thoughts that beat us down and haunt us about what we used to do or what we still cling to and the the lingering sin, and that's why we're not really changed. And that's why, man, that's a bunch of lies. God has remade us, and that's what we're seeing in the book of Ephesians. And I've told you that the first half of the book, the first three chapters, are uh, Paul explaining to the church in Ephesus how it is that God has changed us. What has God done in us? We find ourselves now in this point, started in the middle of the last chapter and continues a bit today, in a little bit of a transition where we're swapping over from this is what God has done, this is how God has remade you, and we're shifting gears into where we're going for the second half of the book, which is this is how you flesh out and live as who God has made you to be. It's where we find ourselves today. If you were around last week, you might recall that we ended with another urging another plea from Paul towards unity amongst believers. He gave us the reason in the last couple of verses of chapter 3. He said that God is able to do abundantly more than you could think or ask. So this God is huge and he is capable and he is able of everything that he wants to do, he does. (laughs) And then it said, and it's for his glory when he shows that ability in changing lives and in doing things that we're incapable of in the church. And so God's ability and God's glory is kind of what wrapped up chapter 3. We start in verse 1 of chapter 4, and Paul says, I, therefore. So he's saying, therefore, because of what I just said, because of this great ability and power of this God, because of his glory, which is the heartbeat of life that truly flourishes. You want to live a life that has purpose and meaning. It's not perfect. It's not void of hurt and pain, but it has meaning. Live a life for the glory of God. It's the only thing big enough for us to attach our lives to. He says, this ability and and this glory, this is therefore why I'm going to say what I'm going to say to you now. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, it's kind of normal to us to think about receiving advice from those who have been successful. (laughs) We think, hey, if someone else has achieved what I'm hoping to achieve, then they can tell me how to get to that life. It's why we have a cultural fascination with stars and, and all these famous folks who live on TV a certain life. And we go, I want that life. Let me see how they live it and what it's like. We're just fast, can't get enough of it. We're used to taking advice from those who are flourishing. But Paul says, hey, by the way, I'm leading you and telling you what to do. And this is what I'm calling you to. But I'm calling you to it as a prisoner of the Lord. He's reminding them yet again, hey, listen, living this life that I'm going to call you to, it might lead you to more difficulty than ease. And yet it's worth it, and I wouldn't stop putting my foot down on the gas pedal for anything. It says, I, because of God's power and ability, I, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So he's urging, he's pleading. The word there is is this heartfelt begging. It is, please, please do this. It's not 
a request. It's not a just nice, you know, mannered, well-mannered, leave it to beaver. Please do this. This is, this matters infinitely. Please do what I'm calling you to do. What's he calling the Ephesian church and what through his word is God calling us to is to walk. This word that we've seen twice already in Ephesians, we'll see it four more times in the second half. So it becomes an emphasis that we're active. Right? Walking is willful and repetitive. It's planned. You pick up a foot and put another one in front. And you do it over and over again on purpose. You trip on accident. You, you sit around passively, but you walk with intention. He says, I want you to walk, how? In a manner worthy of your calling. Now, we tend to think about worthiness in regards to what we have earned. I'm worthy of a certain recognition or reward if I have excelled enough to receive it. But that is not the way that Paul is talking about worthiness here. Here he is talking about being worthy of a thing such that our lives match that which we are called to. Saying live in a way that's worthy of the calling that you've been given. I talk to my kids often. They're probably really tired of hearing about it. (laughs) About the fact that opportunity and responsibility flow into our lives at the same time. That, That it's most often true, it's almost always true, that where there is an opportunity to enjoy something, do something, take an endeavor on that you didn't have before, where there's opportunity, there's also responsibility that comes along with that opportunity. I believe what Paul is helping us see here is that, yes, Jesus is a God of patience and grace and kindness and gentleness. He's not a God who berates us. He's not a God who looks down on us in shame when we stumble. He's a God who helps us up to take the next step and, and I believe, champions that step and is proud of that step. He is tender in that way, but don't let tenderness make us think that the holiness of God doesn't produce requirements for us. We have the opportunity of knowing the holy God of the universe. Why in the world would we imagine that knowing that holy God wouldn't produce responsibility in our lives? He says, live in a way that's matching who you are now remade to be. And he's saying this to individuals, but to individuals as they're part of the collective. This letter is read to the church. So he's saying, flesh this out individually, yes, because that's the only way you can. But understand that you have to do that collectively together. When I was in high school, it was popular for guys to wear sun visors, right? Now you see a visor possibly on, on a guy who's out cutting grass or football coaches, softball coaches, that kind of thing. I don't, I, maybe you do. Maybe you hang out in a lot of visor territories. I don't know. I, I don't see visors often anymore just out in everyday life like I used to. But in that day and time, at the end of high school for me and beginning of college, visors were the thing. So I had several Really liked them. My favorite one was a Kangol brand. Had the little cool-looking kangaroo on the front. It was studly. If you don't know Kangol, sorry. Okay, but you should, right? But, but I love these visors. My friends got into these visors. We would even share visors with each other so that it looked like we had more visors, right? And we, we were all about these visors. And so all of a sudden, it became uh, this, this thing that we started to call ourselves the Visor Club. Recently found a picture of the Visor Club on our senior trip where we're all standing there like we think we're big and bad and awesome with our visors on. We came up with a hand signal where you could see the V for visor and the C for club, right? We would visor club. Visor. We would throw it up all the time, right? We just thought it was so funny and so cool that we were the visor club. And I'll never forget the first time that somebody asked us. It happened more than once, actually. Can't believe it. Somebody asked us, like, they kind of tiptoed into the conversation and went, hey, like, man, I want to be part of the visor club. 
Now, you would think a normal human would just be like, yeah, man, put your visor on, visor club. This is how you do it. That's not what I did. What I did is get my boys together, and we worked through about a, a three-quarters of a page document that bullet pointed all the things you had to do to be part of the visor club. <laughs> you be part of the visor club. This is so superficial and so shallow. You, you had to wear a visor a certain amount of days per week. You had to spend a certain amount of minutes per week in a tanning bed. Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. It's, it was... It was a bad moment, right? It was not, you know, right? We had all these stipulations, right, about the visor club. I think we made up some one or two sentence little creed of like, you got to be able to recite this if you're going to be in the visor club. I remember handing it back to this guy who was the first one to ask us, and I think he was a little bit like, man, I didn't know it was that serious. I just was like, I was just hoping y'all would just say I was in the visor club, right? But we weren't just going to let him be in this super cool, so we thought, group called the visor club. You can't just be in it. Right? you got to live according to the standards. And as silly and ridiculous as that is, I think and hope that it's a really clear picture for you of what Paul is pointing to here. He's saying, don't just call yourself by the name because you, in fact, are not part of the family if you don't strive to live with a character that matches what you've been called to. Right? It's not legalistic, overbearing, dominant, empty religion that is focused on behavior first and foremost. It is Jesus-loving, Jesus-admiring, grace-driven, I want to live for the Savior. And, and here's the crazy thing about how responsibility flows with opportunity from God. It's crazy how it works with God. I don't know if it works this way or any way else. But, but when God offers us opportunity of knowing him and walking with him, there comes this responsibility of living for his glory in our character, in our actions, our decisions, our relationships. But even that responsibility is in itself also another opportunity. Because he's seeking to bless us through the pathway of obedience in our lives. So Paul says, you've been remade, we're shifting gears, we're turning into, we're going to get into some specifics, really starting next week with more specific items of what to do and not do as a follower of Jesus. He says, that the big point that I want to put before you first is this, you've been remade, now live remade. Walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. He's going to give us some big picture ideas about how to do that. What I in mind envision as this big canopy that kind of overhangs all the details and specifics in the last chapters that we're going to fit under this canopy. This is kind of the overarching ideas, I believe, some big pieces of what it looks like to live in this manner in unity. Verse 2, how do we live? How do we walk intentionally and purposefully? Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He gave us at least three characteristics there. Right Again, this is not a specific turn right at this stoplight. This is not a specific decision. Do this with your finances. It's not a specific pursue people for this type of conversation. This is an overhanging attitude of the heart from which all these other things are going to be able to flow. And he starts with, Humility. Humility, I believe, is sometimes requires us to consider ourselves differently or think less of ourselves. Right? So when we are inclined to think arrogantly or pridefully of ourselves, there are times where humility means letting the Holy Spirit in us check that and bring us down to the right level. Right? So there are times when humility means thinking less of ourselves. 
But for those who have a, a really quick conscience like I tend to have and who can beat my own self up really well, this might be an encouragement. Oftentimes, humility may not be thinking less of yourself and who God has called you to be. It, it might actually be just thinking of yourself less. Thinking of yourself less often. Living life with someone else, actually everyone else, in the focal point, in the center point, in the first seat of consideration for your life. He says, I'm calling you, if you're going to honor Jesus and live in a way that honors his life in you, honor what he has recreated in you through his spirit, you're going to have to be humble and place your focus and your desires and your aspirations first and foremost on Jesus, secondly on others, then you get to you. Do we live that way, followers of Jesus? Oh, I know that we do. I see you so often loving each other so well. And yet, isn't it also true if we were to kind of peel back the veil and, and see the inner person of our humanity, that even sometimes when we're outwardly putting others first, we're inwardly pretty ticked about it. You ever been there? You're going, man, I'm going to love this kid. This is my kid. God, you gave me this kid. I'm going to love him so much. And on the inside, you're going, really wanted to be watching the game, right? Remember going to a friend's wedding. For some reason, they scheduled it in the middle of the Alabama LSU game. I remember trying out here to be so happy for them. I was literally so hung up on it. I had to stop at somebody's house to watch a few minutes between the wedding and the reception, right? Outwardly, I'm good. Inwardly, I'm like, I want to love y'all this whole time. This is great. I want to love you and throw rice when you get in the car. Will you go get in the car now, please? <laughs> it's not pretty. It's just true. Okay? Right? Humility is not only an outward action. It actually begins as an inward attitude that says to God, and it will require dependence upon God. We heard last week about Paul saying, I'm praying for you to have spiritual strength. It's going to take strength to live with humility. You're going to have to depend on God to say, God, please give me the desire to serve. Please give me the desire to sacrifice what I want. Please give me the willpower to step in. Please give me the courage to step in. Even though I may not feel equipped, even though I may not feel ready, humility is what others need is more important than what I want. Or even what I need. Does humility serve as a, a key coloring characteristic for us as followers of Jesus? He says, don't stop at humility. Humility bloomed out far enough will lead to the second thing he says, which is gentleness. Some of us might have been doing pretty good as we thought about humility, but gentleness is a whole other thing, right? Especially maybe for some dudes, Okay. We like to think, hey, give me the facts. Tell me what the facts are. I'll tell you the facts. I'll just give them to you. I think that's stupid, right? Like, hey, I, I, I tell you the truth. I love you. I think you're dumb, right? Like, we, we think that that's the way we should handle things with each other. And sometimes we're like a bunch of cavemen. Like, hey, that was the wrong choice. So I'll hit you over the head with my club to show you that it was the wrong choice. And can I just say to you that Jesus, in perfect, infinite wisdom, knowledge, and ability, never let any of those possessions of his cause him to be abrasive or harsh with his people that were faithful followers was he direct at times yes was he unnecessarily overly abrasive was he jolting in his delivery no he was considerate he was kind if you're married in the room you, you probably know this experience that you can be forceful enough prove your point and win an argument but wound a relationship you ever done that 
You ever finally got somebody to click in and go, okay, I finally see it your way, but it doesn't matter that they see it your way anymore because you have driven such a wedge between the two of you that you got a bigger problem than you did to begin with. As followers of Jesus, we are to be people who stand firm on truth. Yes, absolutely. Are we to be people who speak truth to each other even when it's hard? Yes, absolutely. And the the clothing for that, the surrounding for that, the delivery component that that flows within is the gentleness of Jesus. That's hard. You're going, how do you do gentle with hard words? It's not easy. It requires what? Dependence upon God. But I have found it to be true in my own life from others approaching me and my best efforts at approaching others that when we clothe hard words in the gentleness of Christ, when we make every effort to do that, it's amazing how much different the reception is. I'm not promising every time. I'm not promising people won't be offended. But I've seen people much more often than not receive words that, of encouragement, words of rebuke when it's clothed in the gentleness of Jesus. So I want you to be humble. I want you to be gentle in the way that you interact with each other. Consider it. Not passive in refusing to act, but gentle in action. And then he says, I want you to be patient. Bearing with one another. Patience. Anybody want to say you have dominated the market on patience? Is that anybody in the room? It doesn't bother you at all when you're sitting in Chick-fil-A's drive-thru yesterday. It takes over an hour for you to leave your house, which is like four minutes to Chick-fil-A and back. Oh, that was my experience. Right? I knew I was talking about patience today. I was sitting in the drive-thru and I was like, Jesus, I hear you. Right? It's like you're working in my life, <laughs> teaching me to figure it out myself. Right? And that's just random, mundane little moments. What about patience with somebody that, man, you're, you're family with and, and their characteristics hadn't changed in years? Maybe we've entered over into the category not just of being patient, but of bearing with one another. We're patient as we pray for and hope and seek to aid in the sanctification of another as they take next steps with Jesus. But we bear with one another, yes, as we wait, but even in the things that never change. It's, hey, it's never changed, but I still love you. I still will fight to stay united with you and bear with you in life. He says, let these things be key to your life. Let them color all of the specifics that I'm going to tell you from a heart of what? An eagerness, he says in verse 3, to maintain unity. We're back to that word, unity. Again, with the unity, Paul. It's interesting when you read through the Bible, just just reading through it as it flows. It's interesting how different topics pop up at different times or are repeated. Paul is trying to drive home unity. And I believe it's because he trusts that God could do this big, huge, unthinkable, unimaginable-sized things through the Ephesian church. But he knows for that to happen, they must figure out how to bear with one another, how to love each other above offenses. Will we? I'm not a prophet. I'm not dictating anything. But I, man, am praying that God would do a radical work in many people's lives in Dublin and in Lawrence County through you, Dublin Bible Church. I'm praying that he will. And if, and if, he, if it's a slow trickle or if it's 20 years from now, it doesn't look much, whatever, I'm going to love you and love him and we're going to be faithful and keep trying. But I'm going to do my best to keep believing that God will. I see your sincerity of your faith. I see the genuineness of your love. I believe that God can use you even in all your imperfections and limitations and all your concerns and worries and insecurities. God can use you to have a mighty impact, but understand it's a you that is collective. It's a you that is all of you. 
and it will require unity. And we need to be ready for the moment when more and more complex situations land in our laps. If you're going to help people who are in need of Jesus because they're broken like we are, then you're going to become entangled in bearing burdens of brokenness. And that's not always easy. We must be united. Not united under the banner of Dublin Bible Church. Not united under the banner of come to our church so it can be bigger, cooler, fill in the blank, whatever your thing you're aiming for is. United under our God. And that's exactly where Paul takes us next. He says, here's this big overarching canopy of big picture ideas. What he's going to do next is dig down deep and show us where the foundation is dug that holds this canopy up. Verse 4, he says this. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. <laughs> That's a whole lot of ones, right? Eventually, you're like, Paul, stop saying one, because at this point, it's not one. It's about 11, all right? But he's listed several ones there. I want to make sure that you saw them. Hopefully, this will be helpful to you. He mentions the one God and Father. So he mentions the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. There's one God and Father who is over all things. He says there's one Lord referencing Jesus, God the Son. He says there's one Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. So he's told us there's one God that exists in, in the three persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there is one Father, one Son, one Spirit. He said there's one faith that you have there. He's talking about in one faith, I believe, is doctrinal purity. He's talking about there is one gospel message. Now, there's a lot of secondary theological elements in Scripture that we can talk about and discuss. Everything is not primary level, gospel level. This is either you're going to heaven, believing and trusting this, or you're not. But there is a message that makes us the us, right? That we're united around together. This is the gospel that keeps coming up in Paul's letters. He says, this is who it is. It's this God. It's this Son, Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit bringing you to this faith and these doctrines. He says, listen, when you have this one faith, right, then you will walk forward in this one baptism. And I believe this is a reference to water baptism, outward act of obedience. And I want to make sure we understand this. Just as we said at the beginning, that it's not our obedience, it's not our behavior that earns us anything from God. Our obedience is not the standard of our salvation. But our salvation is a salvation that doesn't want to leave us in our brokenness, but wants to lead us to health and flourishing in obedience. And a first step in that is baptism. It's this one act where you say, hey, I'm not perfect. My life doesn't look just right all the time. But I'm declaring outwardly, publicly, that I have placed my personal faith in Jesus Christ. The only hope I have of being right with the holy God of the universe is his name is Jesus. I can tell you more about it. I can tell you more about him. But if you need a quick one-word answer, there's one word for my hope, and it's a name, and it's Jesus. Right? He's the hope I have, and I want to declare that outwardly through this act of baptism. Paul says, listen, you're not called to be one around what is trendy. You're not called to be one around your preferences. You're not called to be one around your similarities. You're called to be one around the bedrock truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel of his grace seeking you out when you wouldn't want him to seek you. 
calling you out, that one calling when you weren't calling out to him. This is the gospel. And we can get fancy and fun and talk about a bunch of different topics. And man, certain biblical topics bring more people, more interest, obviously. But listen, if it ever gets too far away from the gospel, we've wandered too far away from what holds us together. Will we be a people who are one? I'll never forget when I moved to plan a church, I had no intention of doing anything other than planning a church. I, I, was, I had plans in place. I thought it was going to work out a certain way that I was going to have money for my family. I was just going to plant the church. That was going to be my full-time deal. And that did not happen. <laughs> it did not happen quickly. And so I had to find a job. And I got a job working at a university, sitting in a call center, talking with online students as one of their advisors. Can you imagine that I was responsible for directing young minds as to which courses and career paths to choose? Yeah, it's scary, right? It's scary to me. But in that setting, I loved it so much because I got to be around people outside of church setting. Everybody there didn't expect me to be pastor. Everybody there didn't have their pastor veil on of like, eh, watch what you say, dude, don't get too close. I was just a guy to them. I'll never forget, we got to talking about Jesus, me and this one girl. Her father was a pastor. She had grown up in the church, and she was completely done with Christianity. She didn't want to have anything to do with following Jesus and yet somehow we had gotten this amicable relationship, friendliness. We were kind of conversing through some things. And, and it turned into an email because we couldn't just be sitting there talking all day at work. And so we were working and then we'd email back and forth. And I'll never forget her saying, one of the key reasons that I can't be a Christian is because I don't like the us. And she put us in quotation marks, the us. And I emailed her back and I said, well, help me understand who is the us? What is that? She said, I don't like the way... That if you're a Christian, this is not the way we do it. We don't listen to that music. We don't go to those places. We don't think this way. We don't live that way. We don't. And man, as I read that email, I sat there so conflicted. Because part of me, and I, I relayed this to her, I communicated this, part of me understands what you're saying, I think. And I think I really agree. That too often times religion becomes this mold that you have to fit exactly in. It's not just that you have to claim faith in Jesus. You have to stop being you entirely. You have to stop being an individual and start just walking according to the beat of the drum with the other drones and robots. And I think a lot of times that probably happens. And if that's what you mean by the us, then let me just say, I love Jesus with my whole heart and I'm a Christian, but I don't like that us either. I don't believe that reflects the heart of God who came to live and love all different kinds of people. Said, but here's the other part, and this is why it's conflicting. There is an us, and there has to be an us, right? There has to be some central uniting facts that we believe, right? Because Jesus has said he came to set his affection on a specific people, his church. Those are the ones that he has called his own, that he is not ashamed to call his little brothers and sisters, that the father is not ashamed to call his children, that he loves and dotes upon. Those are his people. And for there to be a specific people, God made a specific avenue for us to come to him. And that is through the gospel and the life displayed in Jesus Christ. It's got to be in us. We're going to move not away from a heart and a desire to live in unity. We're going to keep that, but topically as we move forward there's going to be less unity so before we do that it seemed important to the apostle paul it seemed important to the spirit of god who generated the very words of scriptures for us that we consider unity are we united can i just ask you this question i don't know the answer 
it, the answer may be it's all great, but listen, how well do you even know all the people in this room? You go, well, I can't know everything about everybody. No, you can't, but, but besides the people here, we can get to at least know some people. <laughs> we can know names. It's uncomfortable to go, hey, I'm not even sure I know your name. Man, that's, that's uncomfortable. Had a lady stare at me for about, well, it felt like 20 minutes. It was probably about a minute and a half at Golden Corral the other day. She just kept looking at me, and I was just smiling. I didn't have anything else to say. I was like, yeah. I was thinking, do I need to say, can I help you? She said, you don't, you don't remember who I am, do you? Oh, my heart sunk. No, ma'am, I'm sorry. I, I don't recognize you. She said, I used to work at Waffle House. You came in there a lot. And I'm thinking, yeah. I said, man, I, I have tore down some Waffle House in my career. She said, yeah, I worked at this one right over here in Dublin. I left there in 2020. My heart went, I didn't live here in 2020. You got the wrong person, right? (laughs) I didn't embarrass her. I didn't call her out. I didn't go, no, that's not me. I just went, oh, okay. Well, I'm I'm glad you're here and doing well, you know, and she was encouraging. I was like, good to see you. Thanks, right? I don't know. Maybe that was the wrong thing to do, but I just couldn't bring myself to be like, hey, uh, that whole minute and a half you were staring at me, you were wrong, not me, right? (laughs) It may not be that dynamic, but how many times might that same type of tension, though, exist in the body of Christ? Where we're going, hey, I think I'm supposed to know you. I think I know you. I think you know me. I don't, yeah. And because we're uncomfortable in the I thinks, we don't move towards each other to make sure that I know. Maybe we just need to get to know each other better and more. Maybe we need to become more comfortable with looking at a brother or a sister that we don't know as extremely well as we might like to and saying, hey, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray with me. Here's my struggle, and I need your help. How is it that Christ would move you forward through his spirit in next steps, in humility, in gentleness, in patience, and bearing with one another, united together as a church. What is he doing in us towards that end? Let's pray, and I'm going to ask him to pray. God, I thank you for the richness of your word. I pray that you would place in us a holy discontent, a holy gnawing inside of us in every place that we keep a distance from other people who are our family and faith. I pray, God, you would help us to move towards each other. I pray that there would be awkward chuckles as we both realize that we're not great at this. God, I pray that there would be awesome moments of association and realizing that that person understands me in ways I never thought they did. God, I pray that people who are completely different can still be united and enjoy seeing how much that person so different from me loves Jesus so brightly and radiantly. I pray you would do that more and more in us, God. And I pray that through us you would take that out to the world. And that people would come to know and trust you and that they would have a hope and that they would have a father and a savior and a spirit and a faith. God, help us to be humble, not in our intentions and in our estimations of what's noble, but in our actions. God, 
help us to fight our selfishness and our flesh in the power of your spirit that we might be humble. God, let us be marked by gentleness, truthfulness, yes. Concern that would speak truth, absolutely. But God, help us to be people who are led by your spirit to do those things in gentleness. God, let the faith family of Dublin Bible Church be a safe place for people considering their faith, seeking to move forward. God, use us for your glory. I feel a weight, a good weight of expectation. And man, what's God going to do? I, I feel that. I thank you for that, Father. I ask that you would make that contagious in us and that you would stir it up as we seek to live united under the banner of your name. Love you, Jesus. I want to love you more than I do. I ask you to bring that about in us for the glory of your name.